Yes, people, welcome back to Process, a podcast by me, Brendan Pearson. In today's episode on the podcast, we are joined by two guests, owners and co-founders of Aesthetic Athletes, Dante Crawford and Andy Hyde. So they're both from a football background, both got different sort of paths, so we talk about their kind of journey to building their business to where they are now. A little bit about how their enjoyment for training and putting out content is what led them to start their business and how it actually grown to the point where it's at today. We talk a little bit about strength and conditioning for young athletes and athletes in general, specifically in football. And then we finish off with a little bit of advice for both young athletes and athletes who are at the point where they may be turning professional or maybe their career doesn't go down the path that they first thought. So plenty of good discussion in this podcast. I'll shut up now and let the episode begin. This is Process. Right, welcome back to Process the Podcast. Today we're joined by two guests, not just the one. So we've got Dante Crawford and we've got Andy Hyde, both from Aesthetic Athletes. So they both want a company down in Manchester doing strength and conditioning for athletes, general public and footballers I think you specialise in. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Excited to be on. Yeah, no worries. So it'd be good to kind of hear individual stories about kind of, first of all, how you've met each other and then also kind of your background from school. I don't know if you played football because it's the first time we're chatting. So just a little bit about your story. I'll let Donny go first. Okay, cool. So um, I'll tell my story from how me and Andy met. So um, me and Andy, we, I think I've probably known of Andy for probably 10 years before we even started doing our business. Um, we kind of are from the same local area. Uh, we've played a lot of sport against each other over the coming years. And it's just a name that you recognise, it's a name that you know and it's a face that you know. Um, and then we go to the same gyms because we're in the same area and you see people working out and you, start, you kind of like what they're seeing and you kind of like what they're doing. Um, and I think we just had that kind of mutual respect. We weren't best of friends. We weren't really, I won't, I won't even call us friends at that point, but we just knew who we were. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had that mutual respect there um, just from day one, really. Um, and then obviously, probably as we go through the podcast, we'll be able to explain how that's managed to grow into what it is today. But for me, myself, personally, my story is that always been a huge fan of sport um sport's been my thing through school it was always the thing that i was excelling at um i was always fast i was always quite strong quite physical so naturally sport was always something that i'd be able to excel in um and then all the way through primary school into uh, high school straight away i was football captain athletics captain got lots of awards um so it managed to be my kind of cornerstone in school that kind of made me i was kind of a sports person um, football was always the thing for me that I wanted to get my teeth sunk into. Um, I remember being in year six and my PE teacher telling me that I should take up athletics more because I was quite good at the hurdles. But I was like, no, what are you on about? Uh, for me, it's football only. Um, don't know whether I regret that decision or not. Uh, but basically, um, it was something that I was never naturally gifted at. Um, it was something I definitely had to work at. Um, but as I got to the age of, i say, about 14, 15, 16, it really started to gain some traction. Um, by the time I was 16, 17, I was kind of trialling out with a lot of, at the time, some professional clubs. I did have a couple of scouts come see me from pro clubs, but by the time I got to that 15, 16, I was kind of a late bloomer. Placed, I started football late, and I think I kind of bloomed late as well. Um, 
what I was told is that they already handed out a lot of scholarships. So I was like, cool. Went down a long league route. I managed to get on the books of Stockport. I was there for about a season and a half, two seasons with their academy, which is really, really good for me. Managed to play at a really good level. Didn't manage to progress further than that. But just before uh, class of 92 got involved with Salford, I was there in their academy as well, which is just about to take off. Um, and I managed to play season in their academy as well. But again, I started to fall a bit out of love with it, um, just due to the nature of football at that level. Um, wasn't really fitting into the locker room culture and things like that. Um, and it got to this age where we're at, you know, 16, 17, 18, where I wanted to start earning a bit of money. Um, after college, I didn't go into university straight away. I took a bit of a gap. I was a bit tired of education. So I started to pick up work and I ended up landing myself in a law firm of all places, uh, which was a bit of a change from really just going into sport and then going into that. Um, and quickly I started to see that within a corporate environment, I was able to excel quite well. Um, and people were able to see that. So I managed to get I think, two promotions whilst I was there. And as I got the two promotions, um, it got to the crunch titles where they approached me to say, look, you can go in two directions here. You can continue to do what you're doing, but if you want to continue to progress, we need you to do like a qualification, which will take three or four years. And at that time, I was still training and things, and I kind of realised that it's not my true passion. It's not something that I want to be invested in that length of time into. Um, so I picked up a PT qualification. It's around this time, about 2017, me and Andy got into contact again and got into touch, where then we started to just throw ideas about. Um, what we started to realise quite quickly is that we run off the same kind of energy. Uh, we kind of align quite quick, and it was always probably from the start just always set to be a good relationship um so we started to make aesthetic athletes i think i'm just going to probably share a little bit more about that as we go on but as we continued um we rented out a little bit of space where we, you know, we, we charge for the hour we started to get a couple of clients in um it continued to evolve as we started to understand what our true philosophy is um I think around 2018, 17, I then went into Nuffield Health um, based in Bolton, which then I managed just to get a bit more gym floor experience because up to that point, which is me by myself in, a, in a, a small unit. And I think you just need to be on the gym floor if you're going to be really, really good in personal training, uh, being able to sell, being able to be present, being able to be around other trainers and pick up other ideas. Um, and then AA just kind of took off a little bit more from there. So we've come to this point now where, um, you know, we've just recently launched our online exercise database, which is going to take us into our next transition. Um, but so far, so good, really. We've had a lockdown, uh, so it's just being able to manage that properly. But that kind of wraps it up in a summary. Yeah, yeah. That's no, good to see because you've obviously, we talked about it briefly before we went on about transitioning out of football into your life. You've obviously done it really well because you've obviously, you went from the football into your, your law uh, firm yeah. and then you kind of progressed up really quickly. So yeah. we'll touch on that later on. We'll let Andy tell his side of the story as well, but we'll come back to that. Go on, Andy. Yeah, of course. Um, so Don A pretty much painted the perspective uh, from both of our sides pretty well. Um from similar areas, so I won't go over that too much. Um, we did play football against each other quite a lot, which is interesting, <laughs> for school and for club. So um, there was always a big like physical competition there, which was cool. But um, yeah, so again, I was similar to Dante. I played football, uh, I did track as well. Um, I actually did uh, long distance as well, short distance, so I was a little bit of both. 
Um, and I would say probably stem more from my dad. He was just always kind of um, a physical person. He was he was he was a boxer. Um, got his pro card. Um, he used to do strongman. He used to do bodybuilding. Um, so he kind of got me into the physical side of training as well as sport, which I always naturally taken to. It was just kind of a way to me to express to express myself. I always felt quite free um, and expressive when I was playing sport. Or, or training physically. Um, so that's kind of where I got into uh, the sports side of things naturally. And then more specifically down the, down the route of kind of physical training and fitness. Um, and then when I got to university, um, I was still I was still playing sport, but I just kind of started to transition on to the kind of uh, the science behind it, just because uh, similar to Don A, I weren't, I weren't gonna make it as a professional. Um, I'd had a couple of trials at a couple of places, you know, like shadow teams. Um, but yeah, I just, I just, I just weren't going to cut it as, as a lot of people that are coaches don't. Um, so yeah, went into my exercise science degree at Lee's Beckett. Um, and then after that, uh, went straight into a master's in strength and conditioning. Um, had a little bits of experience here and there during the degree, um, but nothing really too major, nothing too consistent. And then during the masters, just purely from, and networking, being proactive, kind of net, not networking in a typical sense of messaging people and asking for an internship, you know, networking properly, um, adding value, being a nice person, consistently reaching out to people in person, um, managed to gain an internship at Leeds United um, and did a, did a year there with the regional talent club. So that was like the ladies, ladies academy. So that's anywhere from like under 10s to under 16s. Um, worked specifically with goalkeepers during that time, which was interesting. Um, and then, yeah, that's kind of taken me on to where I am now. So, um, coming out of the masters, very much struggled to get a job in the industry. Um, I usually always, usually always have a plan, but I didn't really have a plan exiting my, uh, masters. Um, but I'm always the kind of person that's a lot, but happy go lucky. It's a bit of a weird situation. Um, after kind of about six months of persistence, uh, managed to get two jobs at science for sport. Um, obviously we had aesthetic athletes running on the side. Um, and then we partnered up with Manchester Player Development, the Football Academy as well. And then uh, just recently started a job in the NHS as a strength and conditioning coach as well. Uh, so they're all part-time roles. But yeah, got, got my hand dipped in a couple of... Yeah, I was going to say, you got your hands full at the minute then. Busy man. <laughs> yeah. no, that's interesting because it's the first time we've spoken. I'm, I'm a goalkeeper myself, so a bit my background. I played professional football for a number of years, but I was a goalkeeper. So what sort of work were you doing with that, um, the leads, the goalkeeping? Um, so when I was there, there was no model or system in place for the goalkeeper specifically, which mm -hmm. is why they kind of wanted me, um, to jump in on that task. Um, and just because I was usually pretty creative with, um, the way I delivered field-based work. Um, so because I was only there for a year, it was a little bit annoying because it was kind of, um, a year to get a grasp on what the goalkeepers were actually doing. It was a lot of work with the goalkeeper coach in kind of an MDT to go through like video analysis and then whatever kind of literature we could to determine what the goalkeepers were actually doing. Um, one of the annoying things was, was that we could, we, we, we were trying to develop like a, a testing batch rest specific to goalkeepers because they were just doing the generic testing battery outfield players would do. Um, but um, even going through the literature and kind of working backwards from what they do in the field, we never really got around to that because I was only there for a year. Um, we did collect some like interesting GPS data on um, what they were doing on the field and um, we made some pretty uh, cool and useful conditioning drills for them 
based off what they were doing on the field and kind of using box dimensions and stuff like that. And um, just a lot of frontal plane work with them, really. Um, move, moving laterally, trying to... Um, the stuff that we were doing, I mean, because they were youth players, it was it was a lot of movement competency. So just making sure they moved well enough so when they progressed on, you know, to academies and exiting Leeds United, that coaches could see them and they'd move well. Um, so we did a lot of frontal playing work with them um, in, in regards to movement competence there and um, just kind of progressing them forward from there, really, and just trying to do our job to make it transfer as much as possible into, like, goalkeeper-specific actions. Yeah, yeah. No, that's interesting. I'll have to speak to you after about that because I'm always interested, especially when I was um, with professional teams, there wasn't very much specific stuff for keepers. Like you said, it was just general, like, Bit you do whatever the group would kind of do, and there isn't like yeah. you're expected to do. It's the old saying as well: goalkeepers should do the running with the outfielders. And I would always argue like, yes, there's that aspect of like they should do it just for the team bonding, kind of like you're all in it as a team. But like I yeah. think it's you need to have your own individual specific type of training. But you interesting. There um goalkeepers are usually like the tallest players on the pitch, usually the heaviest, usually the slowest. Um, they get a lot of hand and wrist injuries. Yeah. Um, and they more so need upper body work, probably a little bit more than the outfield players. The outfield players still need it, you know, for for the collisions and the physical challenges in, in duels. I mean, I know it's not collisions like rugby, um, yeah. but they need it for kind of physical duels. But the, uh, the 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 goalkeepers need a lot of velocity based work in yeah. terms of their upper body with kind of lower loads, um, you know, for like the throws and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it, it's, there, there, there is some small tweaks that, that you need to make and need to need to be mindful of. Yeah, I know because we. I remember when even when I was playing, like, we never used to do that much specific stuff. Like from the, from my memory, we literally didn't do anything. And even like in training, the fitness related stuff was was all the exact same with the outfielders. We'd never split off and have our own testing or our own kind of strength training stuff. But no, I'd be interested to talk about. But anyway, talking about your business. What was the, the idea? When did your idea about the business originally come from and kind of how did you start? I know you mentioned you kind of rented out a small space and stuff. So how did you initially get your clients in and slowly build the brand to what it is now? Uh, well, when we first started, it, it was word of mouth. It was just mm-hmm. through creating enough buzz so that people knew what we were doing. Um, and a lot of it just came through like a friend of a friend or something like that yeah. just to be able to get us in and then we hopefully decided to do as much of a good job as, as we could for them to be able to see the results obviously that we wanted for them then to get other people in so word of mouth um, I still think to this day is is the number one source of referral um, as, as, it, as a trusted source of referral um, but you know it it, it blossomed and, and, and it really grew from some kind of something really, really small. Um, just a couple of ideas, as I say, it literally came from when I saw Andy in the gym and we kind of just went, look, I like what you're doing. Uh, he liked what I was doing. Let's just try to see if we can maybe take something and use it. And it was just, what we started off doing is, is, is just things that we saw at the time. And it was the things that we liked probably at the time um, where that was just filming and posting content. Uh, it was nothing that was structured. It was nothing that was um, done with an end objective there. It was just us being able to just come together, use the energy that we've got and see if people liked it as well. Um, and, as, and as we took it from that, obviously then we started to see that, all right, we think we can maybe make some business out of it. We used it into going to um, training people and coaching people. Um, and again, just through us having a good network 
managed to find a really nice space, which we're still used to this day, um, where we're able to get people in there and train, and, it, and, it's, and it's cool, and it's nice, and it's quite modern. Um, and, you know, it's, that became our foundation, really, to grow. As we then looked to build the business, um, at this time, Andy was still based in Leeds. So it was difficult for us, maybe for the first year or so, to be able to really nail down what our true philosophers are, what our cornerstones are of the business. And, you know, when Andy was back in Manchester, we'd catch up and have a coffee and, and, and we'd try and get ideas across. But it's hard to really actually know when, when you can't put that full energy into, into the project. So as, obviously, Andy's time from university has, has, has reduced, then it's allowed us to be able to put more of our creative energy into how can we actually turn this into a business. And as we look to grow the business, there's a lot of mistakes that we've made early. But the benefit of the learning phase of this is that we were able to make those mistakes with small consequences so that we can learn for next time. And it's definitely advice that I'll give to anyone that's looking to start up who may not have uh, initial business insight is that I think you just got to learn and roll with it. Um, obviously, you don't want to be taking it too big of a hits too soon, but it's just kind of like the, the, the podcast, just trusting the process and being able to take it on um, and growing with it and being able to pick up ideas as you go forward. Um, that network that we've got has took us into the current day where we've managed to create relationships with coaches, where now we're working with teams across Manchester working with clients across Manchester, um, where then working with those teams has managed to build then our general client base into now we've got up to 30 clients that we're in touch with. Um, and that's how I think slowly but surely you'll start to tick off those key objectives and, and um, bits and bobs that, that you initially wasn't anticipating, but over time they start to unravel themselves. Yeah, 100%. It's good that you kind of, you first said like you literally just both started because you like what you two were doing and you just started posting content because you enjoyed it kind of thing. I think a lot of things, like especially for me, because I started my, my fitness page, I started that when I wasn't really pursuing a PT thing. I started doing it for enjoyment and then you realise like, first of all, like people are actually reacting to it and enjoying it and then you're like, right, I'm enjoying doing this. I could turn this into like a career. I could turn this into a business. Mm -hmm. And I think when people do that, like the consistency and how their business progress just goes like it's much higher level than like say you're starting something that oh I could make money from this but I don't really enjoy it that much kind of thing like it's That's a different it. level. I think you get a lot of people who see something hot and they see something new and they see something exciting and jump on board of it but give it six months when they actually start to realize that this is yeah. actually not as easy as it probably looks or that when you've got to be putting out content every single day and you've got to find those creativity and those ideas or you've got to be getting up and, you know, especially as because it's a side thing for us at the moment and it's, it's part-time work still. We've still got our full times and being able to try to get energy when you've got those really long days and to go um, even last year or, or start of this year and it's, when it's literally snowing and, it, and it's hailstone outside and you've still got to try and keep your energy that's when it really for me tests if you've got the right passion for it yeah. and if you're just doing it just because it's cool if you're just doing it because it's it's fresh you, you've got to enjoy what you do otherwise you, you're going to run out of, of steam very very quick the enthusiasm of, and the excitedness of starting something new will 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 buzz out quick and that's when you've got to really be on board with what your initial plan was 
Yeah, 100%. You've got to stick to it. And like you said, like people go into things because, oh, yeah, this looks great. But down the line, that buzz will die off, is exactly what you said. And I think talking about going out, like not every day I look outside and if it's pouring out of rain, I'm like, I really don't want to, like, say for me, like, go for a run or I don't want to, like, mm. if I feel a bit tired, I didn't sleep that well. Like, if I don't want to sit down and, like, program people's stuff, or I don't want to go on one-to-one PT today. Like, but if you've got, if that's what, you really truly want to do you go and get yourself through it like no matter what like there's just something yeah. that kind of like pushes you through it no matter what so like just when people are going to start new businesses and stuff just really think like is your heart 100 there and like you said when you're doing it as a part-time job and you're working probably well you're working 40 plus hours a week in a normal job anyway like it's hard to kind of first of all find the time and also it, it, they actually make it work so how do you, how do you find that um the balance with full-time employment and kind of the whole side hustle sort of thing. How do you find it mentally and physically? Well, for us, I think this is where we really uh, thrive because um, especially, as again, no field, I'm there full-time. There's been mm-hmm. days where I'm there six in the morning till eight o'clock at night without going home. And that really can join you out. And it's not healthy. It's definitely not healthy, but it's, it's just part of the business, unfortunately, that we're in. And obviously, as we're doing this, we've still got, the part-time business to run and that's where because there's two of us it really really helps balance that workload um so for example when i'm at nuffield doing work and andy can facilitate and vice versa we've, we've found a way to be able to communicate well and be able to take tasks on within, within each other um we are quite thorough in how we set out our philosophy and our business model to the point where there's tasks that Andy will look at and I would need to kind of question on it. I just know that he's doing it and vice versa. So if something crops up that is a bit more admin then that's mine to look at. If something comes up that's a bit more technical, then that's, that's Andy's to look at. Um, and that's how we can kind of run accordingly, where we can still put out good quality content. We can still maintain high quality service when it comes to delivering our product. But it's not compromised by just not having the sufficient time. And we've also tried to be smart of our time as well, which is obviously why we've managed to create this little bit of an online platform where, I mean, one of our things is, is that we try to create systems as well that, um, that, that, that save a lot of the time that we can put in. So a system is like the online coaching model. A system is being able to make a simple spreadsheet that's just being able to take out 30% or 30 minutes of your time that you don't necessarily have to throw around. You know, it's just, it's those small things that we've started to learn as we've picked up through things um, that really, really help us out through when time gets yeah. It's difficult. It's I would say it's like working smart but not like harder. You need to work hard, but if you're smart about it, it just makes it so much easier. And it's also helped us two of you so you can like half the workload. And I think a lot of people when they start businesses, they want to do everything themselves as well. Mm-hmm. And you used to like you've obviously both got different attributes and you can kind of bounce off each other. Like there's an aspect like you just said that I might be better at and then Andy might be better at the other half. And if you are on your own having the ability to actually be able to reach out to other people. So say for me, like content creation, I might not be great at editing videos or whatever, reaching out to like an external source because they know that you're going to get, they're going to produce the highest quality product for you. Whereas if you try to do it, you could be doing, God knows what you could have like, clip art here and everywhere. It could be be there for, to know, 
an hour, two hours doing something that still comes out looking shoddy, whereas you can just give it to a guy to do, pay a little bit of money to do it, and then you can still put your energy and time into what your where your skill set is. Yeah. Um, and that's another thing that me and Andy have managed to do. Um, we don't, I think we've got our skill sets so that they complement each other quite well. I think if you've gone into business with someone who's too similar to you, it's going to be conflict and clash. And that's yeah. kind of what you don't want to happen. Um, I'm not saying that there's times where we don't clash, but I think this is where we've got the right energy and it works because we're able to conversate and we're able to articulate our ideas across properly. Yeah. And the key thing about me and Andy is that if one of us disagrees with something, we don't get annoyed with it. We don't, you know, our ego doesn't get involved Then start making personal emotional decisions. Our both um, end goal is how can we make this business better? How can we then look to generate more money? How can we look to be able to fill our service to the best possible standard? And that's what the bottom rules are. If it's not ticking those boxes, then why are we having this conversation? Exactly. It's good that you can kind of work with you well. I was going to say, I was going to ask Andy what's uh, Dante like to work with. Is he as uh, good as he's, he's saying he is? <laughs> yeah, he's good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's Obviously nice. a nightmare. Does he do, do your hair secretly? <laughs> he's, um, so, I mean, if, if you've not worked with someone like Dante before, you might get offended or you might get butt hurt or you might, you might, you might think, why is he working like this? But, it's just because you've probably not worked with someone so efficient. So like mm-hmm. we, we just, we just have a clear mutual understanding that it's, it's either natural because you're both like that or you either build it over time, which for us is a little bit of both that if I messaged on a asking to do something or he asked me to do something, all you need is just recognition of that. And then you can be confident it's been done. Or yeah. like if, you, if you're talking about something, you know, don't, don't talk to talk, you know, listen, um, don't talk more than you need to talk. You know, keep things concise. Um, don't be condescending. Don't be patronising. I mean, it's just it's 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 stuff that just makes again it makes our communication um, and everything we do just so much smoother. Um, yeah. So, and I, I would say we're both like that, and we and we are quite to the point. And I would say that you know, if, if you're someone that gets gets offended easily or doesn't see the logic in things or kind of the end goal. I mean, I'm not saying we're robots and we don't have emotional intelligence. You know, we understand people and how to communicate. But in terms of within our team and what we do together, um, you've got to kind of uh, have thick skin, be logical and be able to be concise, articulate yourself well, listen and get shit done, basically. Yeah. You've got to be open to like, you've got to be able to criticise each other. If you think something's not right with each other, you've got to be able to say to Dante, look, I don't think this is right. And he's going to be able to take it and think like, all right, I see where you're coming from and talk about it rather than... That's when you see business partners just like falling out or one person wants to go down one route and they're not speaking to the other person and stuff. So it looks like you've got a good little, good little balance of both. For so sure. we'll, we'll move on talking a little bit about your business itself. So you're focusing strength condition. Is it specifically focused on footballers or do you kind of do general public as well? Well, with that, our niche is within footballers. When we see athletes, we want to really clamp down on footballers, yeah. but we do look after the general pop, general population as well. Yeah. Um, it was something that we've discovered that we needed to clamp down on. I think we, we kind of funneled through from athletes as a broader spectrum into footballers. Um, reasons being is because it's the most popular sport, um, not just only in our region, but kind of in the country. Um, so it was a big market there. 
it's something that we've both played, so we understand it from a playing aspect. Um, it's something that we both actively watch and enjoy, so you know the interest is there, um, and it's a you know it's it's a pretty cool thing, um, yeah, especially when it yeah as experience when it when it comes down to us working with the players. There'd be nothing worse for me to be able to try and talk to someone physically about a sport that I've never played or a sport that I don't really watch or enjoy. So it just came from kind of like a combination of those kind of aspects. Um, and then Andy kind of leads heavily a lot on the S&C stuff. Um, I kind of call him a whiz at, at, at that, really. So anything that comes from any kind of technical stuff, Andy's and your go-to guy. Um, yeah. and, and I think he's quite valuable in that aspect. Yeah, did you, something you touched on there. I asked it. I literally did a podcast with someone last week who's a uh, he's a coach. He's a football specific one on one coach, and he's kind of came through university. That he went from that side away. Do you think that coaches, not just at the top level, but just at any level, need to kind of play the game to go, almost have the right? Because I feel there's a lot of coaches that have played the game, but they can be horrendous coaches at the same time. But then from the background of like coaches coming from university working their way up the ranks like you see a lot of like young up-and-coming coaches are the same they haven't really played the game like at a decent level but they're, they're decent coaches and they know how to man manage people do you feel like it's necessary or do you feel like it's just an advantage in general that if you've played a game at a decent level it's a really good question that one um i'm sure andy will probably have something to say about it but from, yeah. from my perspective personally um not necessarily necessarily say that you need to play the sport because I've come across great um, I think it, to be a good coach for me personally I'm more on, on, on a soft side of the, of the spectrum so as long as you're able to get the best out of someone and you can learn the technical stuff um, you don't necessarily need to have played the sport to do that but I do think it can give you a bit of an advantage, um, yeah. especially to help with buy-in um, one of the things that you see is for example I'm touching more from an actual you know, technical coach here but you look at you know, when a new coach comes into a club who's not won anything before, um, the players automatically assume why is he here, especially when you're coaching players who have maybe won something. But then if you've got a world-renowned coach who's recognised around the world who comes in, it kind of makes you think, OK, he must know what he's on about slightly. Yeah. Not, what I mean. uh-huh. um, so that's my perspective on it. Um, but I'm sure Andy's probably got something to share on that. Um, yeah, so from... I mean, it's obviously such a multifactorial thing being being a good coach. You know, there's so much there's so much that goes into it, as Dante said, you know, there's more than just that. So it's not like an absolute essential. Um, but what I would say is is from a gym perspective, open a spreadsheet, write down for an athlete that you're gonna give them uh, five sets of twenty. Yeah, cool. I'll give them two minutes rest in between each set. Go and do that five sets of twenty yourself to failure and see how it feels. Because you need to understand you need to understand how that feels yeah. before you go and um, prescribe that for someone or do that for someone. Um, so I think it's the same. It's 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 it's, it's the same with sport. You know, you're gonna it's it's the same. So it's also like it's also like telling your best mate get rid of that girl. You know, she's she's, she's no good for you. But when you've got the emotional investment in that girl and you understand how it feels yeah. and all that kind of stuff, it's different. So from so from the perspective of just a kind of general law of understanding things. It's always an advantage to obviously have played, um, and then obviously if, if you've played, you kind of understand the perspective of being coached and what you did like and didn't like. Um, but again, as Don and again with what Don A said about um, 
kind of skill in the game and having a demonstrated track record of accomplishing things. I mean, I don't really need to say much more than what Donny said there, but obviously that's a factor as well. Yeah, no, I massively agree with that. Like, I feel like it is an advantage initially, but like I said before, you can get I've had coaches in the past who have played like high level, like I'm talking really high level, and they just they either just think they're better than they other people are because they've achieved something they deserve this initial amount of respect, and they just can't deal with it. Like they're not very good at man management, but then I have coaches who maybe haven't. They're kind of they've maybe it's ground them a little bit, having to work their way up the ranks a little bit as well. I don't know, but I feel. There's the sides to, to both sort of story, but it was nice to hear your opinion on it anyway. It's good to get a different different perspective. So moving on a little bit about strength condition for footballs, which is something that we'll, I wanted to touch on. How important do you feel, like, especially over the last few years, how important has it became for footballers specifically to, to focus on the strength condition side of the game? Well, with this, uh, I mean, let's look at how in the last 10, 15 years, how fast the game's gone. Um, players being able to cover more distances than in the world of running more, they're a lot more stronger, they're, they're tracking more higher speeds. Um, and it's generally made for more exciting football, hasn't it? You've seen yeah. teams like Liverpool now who have been able to basically outrun a lot of other teams um, just through to being fitter. And I think when you link that into how the game has changed, um, how other coaches from across the world have brought in implements of SNC, um, how it's become more prominent into general populations as well, um, has meant that you're able to see players who are able to be a bit more robust. Now, take for example um, Ronaldo, for say, um, not everything he does is what we call um, SNC. Um, some yeah. of it is pretty useless, but in terms of how well he's managed to look after his body over the last 10, 15 seasons, how many times has he been injured? You, you just you can I can count on a hand if you know what I mean. Um, it's more of a direct, stronger, fast, explosive game now, and the players who are able to demonstrate that um, to the top end tend to be the ones who do better. Um, not saying that it's all down to the SNC. Um, you know, some of this may be genetic with a lot of these players. Um, look at Mbappe, for example. Ridiculously quick, ridiculously fast. You can't say that that's just down to S and C, um, but I'm sure it's some sort of work in terms of mechanics has been implemented to tweak certain things that makes them look quicker over a yard. So I definitely see how it's it's something that for that top end of the game for me for say is is getting there. I still think a lot of players need convincing a little bit. I mean, you've got to think it's still only like a 20-year-old thing. It's A lot of these players that have come through now are about the same age as SNC. Um, and I think only when it started to be implemented into the grassroots academy level where they can grow up with it is when we'll see it really kick into action. Um, but it's when you probably you go down to your lower end of the game in terms of your lower league football where it's probably not financed as well. Um, you're not able to get the full-time stuff in. I, th- I think that's then... Those, those players who can't readily access it need to be really looking to invest in it, especially as it's a bit of a scrap heap at that level. Just to keep your body fresh, you want to be not getting injured in your season, just to give yourself that little bit of a chance. And by yeah. doing that is when you really need to be looking after your body. Yeah. I was going to touch on about the injury sort of thing. So it could be genetic, like you said, but I found that throughout my time when I was playing, the training load and the gym sessions were the same for everybody, which I feel 
well, not just in terms of positions and stuff like that, doesn't really benefit you that well, but different people can manage different loads better. So for myself, I was very injury prone and I felt like I couldn't deal, like I couldn't deal with the amount of training load that was put in front of me. Whereas there's other lads you see who just, they maybe don't, I know there's lads I can name in the top of my head who didn't do any S&C, but just stayed injury free and they were the stiffest, weakest, like they were reasonably fit, but just they didn't really do much extra. But I feel that, S&C coaches well I'll ask you how, how do you kind of manage if you get an athlete who comes in who maybe has a history of certain sort of amount of injuries he's training this many days a week how would you kind of program his sessions working around his weaknesses and stuff and areas that he needs to work on and then compare to someone who maybe trains the same amount but hasn't really had that history if you know what I mean probably I probably haven't worded that very well but no, how would you kind of Andy the Wiz, I think this this one's for you. The Wiz. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, again, it just depends on building a background for that player, and it depends what age, what age, and on what part of their kind of physical journey and their um, career journey in football you you are um, involved with them at. Because if they've had a long line of injuries, untangling them to why the first one happened, or why the one happened after that, or what happened after that, is going down a bit of a rabbit hole. So unless you pick someone up injury-free at a young age and you can see kind of, um, let's say you do a movement screen and you can see kind of any, or, or even just throughout sessions or even during gameplay, you can see any kind of um, discrepancies in their movement where you can then begin to kind of work on that. It's, it's quite hard um, to untangle that and figure it out, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So it really depends on what age you bring them in at. Um, so, yeah, it, it 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 highly depends on the individual. But if you do have someone in that's coming with a long line of injuries, it's about understanding those injuries and the context behind them, how they happened. You know, like how, how they happened on the pitch might help work backwards into into why something really happened. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to prevent injuries from happening on the field. Yeah. Um. So it's 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 not just the case. Oh, I'm going to do a movement screen, or um. You know, he's got a little bit of chronic ankle instability or um, got a little bit of knee valgus or she's got um, a little bit of, you know, knee valgus. It, 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 it depends on how that informs movement on the field as well. Yeah. Um, which is kind of, that's, that, that's how you get a good transfer um, in, in kind of in training and injury prevention. So it needs, it, it needs to be driven by context on the field as well, not just doing a kind of isolated gym-based assessment which doesn't really actually predict injury. You know, yeah. you've got to go deeper than that. So do you... If that kind of answers your question. Yeah, yeah, no, it does. I was going to say, do you actually go out and watch, like, the lads and stuff on the pitch sometimes and assess the movement, or do you just purely do the gym-based stuff? It, it depends because, like... So, like, with Manchester Player Development, the football academy we're in partnership with, their strength and condition is field-based. All right. And we, we are there, and we do their strength and conditioning before they go into their field work. Yeah. So there, you know, we can we, more often than not we can stay and watch them, uh-huh. and we can have to take you know mental note. Well, me, me, mainly mental notes. Um, but you know, if we've got if we've got athletes that are in one for in one to one, and again, this isn't just tied back into S and C. This tie backs into the business side of relationships and keeping clients happy. Where Don Azers will perk up for sure. Actually, caring about them as people and not just go in to watch them for the sake of S&C, which is something that we would do and we do plan on doing as well more often yeah. as we get more time. Um, you know, Don, I'm sure we'll say on that. 
like go, going to watch them, you know, spending a Saturday morning is, is valuable. Yeah, 100%. So talking about injuries, what sort of the common injury? I don't know if you're how old, roughly the age groups that you kind of deal with, are the younger athletes or do you deal with all ages? More younger, but a little bit of both. Over the ball. What are yeah. the common uh, common injuries that you see kind of coming in or common weaknesses? I shouldn't say injuries, maybe at that age, they probably don't get them as much, but injuries or weaknesses that you see for the young athletes? Um, with the youth athletes, it's kind of... Um, it's, the sport doesn't matter as much, especially when they're not specialization they're not specializing in one sport massively. Um so your typical ones that you're gonna see is stuff like Oshkut Slaz. Yeah. Where where like I mean, I know that you know, people are gonna hear that and go, Yeah, I know about that anyway, but like what else you want me to tell you? I'm not gonna make up something to tell you that you've not heard it before because it's not true. Like that's those are the kind of things that you're gonna see in athletes that are maturing, going through going through growth spurts, putting on uh, weight quickly and the length of the limbs are growing quite quickly. Um, so that that kind of affects their movement competency, technically how they move, how they absorb force, how they apply force. Um, so with, with that, you kind of have to adjust the training that they do um, in terms of uh, the amount of force they're actually absorbing, how they do that. You know, you, ha- you have to slow things down a little bit, um, especially in terms of force absorption and decelerations. Decelerations are a really intense action in football um the way more intense than any other movement and more intense than accelerations um so you have to be careful about kind of the eccentric load that you place on the players and um just how you adjust that really it's just, it's just going back to your basic principles you have to slow things down a little bit drop the intensity you know focus on comp- on movement competency before you kind of um increase the intensity and the speed and the velocity of things again but in terms of more senior players um in the literature, the main kind of um, weaknesses are kind of where where one of the most common injuries, which is like non-contact ACLs, where that will happen a lot is uh, in defensive pressing, um, balancing on the stance leg after a kick and um, landing after a header. So like those, those three specific situations have been shown in the literature to be like three real big contributors to um, non-contact ACL injury. And they're all usually kind of unpredictable um, and fast, fast movements. I mean, um, kicking on your stance leg is a little bit more static, whereas the other two are dynamic. But I mean, defensive pressing, if, if you're accelerating to attackers and then putting in a challenge or decelerating to stand up to them, you're absorbing a lot of force. You know, balance leg after kicking, isometrically, you're absorbing a lot of force. And landing after heading on your leg, a high velocity and predictable movement, you're absorbing a lot of force in unpredictable positions. Yeah. Um, and they, they all kind of link back to Valgus as well again. So it's kind of controlling controlling forces in unpredictable ways at high speeds in these kind of specific instances. Um, it's going to be a big one in terms of in terms of injuries like ACL. Um, you know, and then you've got like hamstring strains and tears. It's just it's just protecting the hamstrings with proper training. Um so not just gym-based training, not just RDLs, not just Nordics, frequent sprinting, but also good sprinting, um, which is harder to do with like elite seniors because what they've got ingrained in their returns of motor patterns when they're sprinting, it's been ingrained for a while. So to kind of coach that out of them, is just going to be, is it more effort than what it's going to be worth for the reward? Yeah. Whereas with younger athletes that are going through kind of maturation and they're, they're a bit gangly and they need, they need, 
they, they, they need some refinement in terms of mechanics and they'd, and they'd benefit from kind of learning general mechanics that you might see a track athlete do. You know, they're probably going to benefit that, especially in terms of protection on the hamstrings as they grow into a senior player. Where, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a male or female player. Um, so, yeah, I would say I would say probably those two things um, to kind of summarise that. So, yeah, those, those, those would be three specific actions, you know, like defensive pressing, uh, kicking on your stance leg, landing after heading. But, you know, that then points back to deceleration, absorbing force, unpredictable positions, high velocities, and um, control of the knee joint. Uh, in progress, you know, from hip to knee to ankle. Yeah. Is there any exercises that, like, I can never say there's, like, one or two exercises that are going to fix or these are the exercises you need to do, but just ones off your head, that just for, especially for young athletes, like simple ones, like, I don't know, because I'm a big fan of the rear fat of it split squat, any sort of single leg movement, especially for knee stability, because I follow a bit of, you know, Mike Boyle. I follow a bit uh -huh. of his stuff, and he's big on single leg stuff. Is there anything, especially for like your ACL injuries and your hamstring injuries, for young athletes that they can kind of implement at a young age to kind of take yeah, forward? My, yeah, first of all, Mike's an absolute legend, so like yeah. shouting him out is a is a good guy. Um, and me and Dante definitely look up to him a lot, not just from a kind of SNC perspective, but from building a, um, a franchise gym perspective. But uh, anyway, yeah, back to your question. Um, Again, you know, you've, you've got general and specific ones and we are real big on context-driven stuff as well as general stuff. So, I mean, yeah, in terms of, in terms of general strengthening and general preparation, um, especially with the youth athletes, the first thing is going to be competency. So being able to perform those movements correctly, like a split squat, um, a lunge, especially where deceleration is concerned, um, a stationary lunge where you step out, absorb the force in a forwards, you know, like anterior posterior direction yeah, yeah. and push back up. Um, is going to be useful. Um, again, with single leg work, you, you kind of need to progress, progress to that. So you could go, you know, again, from learning how to squat, to split squat, to then rail for elevated split squat, to then, you know, r true single leg stuff like pistol squats and skater squats. That's going to help with kind of general strength at your hips and knees um, with heavier loads. But again, you know, that's a slow movement and it's not unpredictable. Um so then you can go to kind of like, you know, closed chain deceleration, um, you know, so like sprinting out five meters and decelerating in a set position with your feet kind of in an athletic stance. And you can go to like split stance. So you're decelerating in lunge positions, decelerating in lateral positions, which can then tie into change of direction. So you can, you can kind of go off on tangents. Um, but I get um, another one that would be useful for, you know, heading and landing would be... Um, Collisions in the air with someone, you know, heading and then try, trying to land as safely as possible. Um, but again, tying back into that with your general stuff, that would go into like uh, de death drops. You know, that would be like yeah. general S&C stuff. But again, it's not as unpredictable as what you would see, you know, in, in football. So we try and incorporate that aspect into there. So like I'll pick out one specific drill that we do, um, which is uh, a lateral shoulder box battle. So we'll have, you know, two players stand shoulder to shoulder. We'll put all the weight into each other. Uh, one of us will say go, and they will just use their body weight, um, apply force through the feet, through their ankles, through the hips and through the knees into the ground to try and push the other person out. Yeah. It's fast paced. It's unpredictable. It gets them in unpredictable positions. It's fun because it's competitive. They put a lot of intent and effort into it. And um, it's really that kind of stuff that can have um, a bigger transfer um, beyond the general gym stuff. Yeah. I think there's probably more of a buy-in for young lads as well when there's that competitive aspect. So you're like, right, I'm going to shove you to the ground sort of thing with your mate. Like, rather than just getting them to, like, step off a block, like, 
at the young as a young lad, you just gonna be thinking like, what they, what's this doing? Like, obviously they don't know the science behind it, but doing something like that's definitely, definitely more buying. And then you talked about like doing that rather than just the box step up. Like you can shoot, like purely focus on like, right, what am I doing here? I'm absorbing the land, and when I jump off this box, whereas in a game you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about like heading the ball or like what's this lad? Is he gonna come and smash me? Sort of thing. You're not thinking about that landing. So exactly. like, when I was doing my ankle rehab after I had operation right? like the physio we did all the stuff like through the cones and stuff hopping hopping and landing and he's like right I'm going to throw the ball here at any point so the whole time I was thinking like he's going to throw the ball but it's just about learning how to do all the exercise that you know you can do but without actually consciously thinking about it like focusing on the game so that's definitely some good points definitely there uh, I was going to touch on comparing so training off season for well, we'll say young athletes, that's what you specialise in, most of the athletes are. So comparing in-season to off-season athletes, what are some of the things that you would focus on? So like now is probably a perfect time to talk about it because we're in the off-season. Uh, so off-season, moving into pre-season, then into obviously the, the the main season. What are some of the um, things you'd focus on? It doesn't really change too much for youth athletes. It's um, It's kind of a general progression model. So again, you know, we get them to... So the first the first stage is one, move well. Two, move more. Three, move load. So move, in, um, you know, move, move heavy load. Four, move fast. Yeah. So that's, so we just, and then we're within that, we do that for kind of each, um, each kind of movement progression and quality. And um, they all work backwards from qualities on the field. So like speed, acceleration, deceleration, uh, change of direction, agility. So like each session, We'll have a main aim of improving one of those so the players exactly understand what it is they're doing and why it's important and how it's going to improve their performance on the field and there'll be some context specific stuff and some general stuff in there um but yeah it's just it's, it's just literally progressing them um with movement competency and intensity so that when they kind of um have eyes on them from academies and stuff or they go onto the next stage of their career when they get into the gym or on the field, they move well, and then coaches can prioritize intensity and driving adaptation rather than trying to teach them things they should already know. Yeah. Um, whereas with like seniors, um, it probably will be more, it definitely will be more periodized. I mean, don't get me wrong, we don't just put the youth athletes in into a boxed program and then this is it, you're doing this. It will be adjusted where necessary. Um, but in terms of the seniors, um, in in, um, in in the preseason, we usually do more kind of uh, linear-based periodization, which means that we kind of go from general uh, extensive work um, to specific intensive work towards the start of the season. So, like, yeah. um, start of the preseason, you might be doing more, like, aerobic work, general gym stuff, you know, squats, uh, lunges, uh, lateral squats, Romanian deadlifts, uh, that kind of stuff. And then as, as it goes on, you know, you, you might actually be finishing just before the preseason ends with like top speed work that's real brief and intense uh small sided games um the gym work will mainly be like you know plyos and specific strength exercises uh probably more on the field um and then kind of during the season we're just mindful of kind of um the different times of season so like start of the season they're gonna they're gonna be fresh and at the first so we don't really have to adjust too much there we'll just kind of bring the volume down a little bit um, to account for games um depends on how much game time they get though and then uh towards the christmas break we're just mindful of reintroducing them back in steadily 
because I've had a little bit of time off. And then towards the end of the season, we're just mindful of kind of accumulated fatigue. Um, so basically with that, we just kind of, what we do is we just adjust the priority of the qualities that we're training throughout throughout the season. So like at the end of the season, when there's accumulated fatigue, injuries might be a bit more of a risk. We're not going to do loads of heavy eccentric work or high volume work. Yeah. We're not going to focus heavily on decelerations, especially when they happen so often in the game anyway, in small-sided games and training. You know, we're probably going to dose some intensive um, top speed work to protect the hamstrings and keep them moving quick. Um, probably some agility work and then probably mainly some brief, fast-moving, concentric strength work to keep the strength up because the relative strength might suffer a little bit because of the fatigue and stuff like that. The speed and agility might not as much because they've done a full season of sprinting and trying to be agile during games, basically. Um, yeah. It's just being mindful of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. So how would you, just as an example, we could cut you on the spot, what would you kind of, how would you lay out a week? So say it's not towards the end of the season, but like start of the season, but they're only playing one game a week. So the game's on a Saturday. How would you kind of pan out the week? Uh, not just in terms of training, but in terms of gym programming? Because I get that quite a question quite a lot. Because I get people asking about, because I'm from a football background, how would you set out your training week like? Monday, what would you do? Tuesday, what would you do? Where would you have your day off? Thursday, Friday, Saturday? But obviously, you're the, ex you're the expert on this. So I don't know <laughs> what my opinion would be different to yours. Um, it's, it's a tough one because yeah. we're, we're a private strength and conditioning company. And um, depending on their level and what they do with the club, um, we might only be with them once a week or maybe twice a week. Could be three times a week. We don't know. It depends on what we and they decide is the kind of best um, decision for them, which Don A would be, you know, quite quite a big part of, especially in terms of um, how feasible it is for us. Um, so it's a difficult one to answer, especially when there's also an issue with stakeholders, especially with youth athletes. So, like, yeah. your stakeholders are going to be like, you know, um, the, the club's a stakeholder. If they play any other sport for any other teams, they're a stakeholder. We're, we're a stakeholder. So, like, Kind of, there needs to be communication between stakeholders to make sure you're doing what's best and it's in the best interest of that athlete. Of yeah. not, not even the athlete, that, that human, you know, that person, um, which can, can be difficult sometimes, you know, especially like if, if, if you're trying to, if, you, if, if you're asking an SNC coach what an athlete's been doing with them or, you know, if you're asking for like some GPS data or something, if yeah. you, you might find yourself trying to chase up um, an answer that you, you're not really going to get. Um, so that that can always be difficult, um, but let's say let's say we had the let's 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 say we had free reign um, and we, we it, it was kind of as as we please. If they've got a game on a Saturday, they're probably gonna um, do some active recovery on a Sunday. Um, Monday, it's subjective again, like you said. Some people come coming feeling beat up. Some people coming fresh, so it depends on how they're feeling. Um, but there, you could go. We could go through some kind of more movement competency type stuff. Um, so the intensity is a little bit lower. Um, they might end up, you know, reviewing some sort of game stuff or doing some light training with the team. Um, so we might go through something a little bit more technical, working on movement competency, um, less kind of neural demand and less physically fatiguing, but uh, kind of refining movement patterns more. And then Tuesday, we can up it a little bit. So, uh, you know, we'll be fresh there. Um, so we might do some, you know, top speed work, some acceleration work, um, keep it brief, but keep it intense. And everything we do, 
So like, again, it's, it's always aimed back at a specific quality. So when we do a top speed session, especially if we only have you know an athlete in for an hour, we don't do just speed. We, 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 might, we might warm up, we'll do um, some general kind of closed mechanics, which might be like one or two exercises. Then we'll do like um, some general top speed sprints. Then we might do a context specific repertoire um, with kind of a football or another player. Um, and then after that, we'll do like a plyo that ties into top speed or a ballistic exercise, then a specific strength exercise and a general one. And then we might um, drop in a little bit of body if we've got the time and then some either general or specific core work. And again, the, um, the ratio of that just differs depending on the time of season. Um, but you might see that at the start of the week and then moving more towards the end of the week, you might, well, maybe Thursday, you might see a little bit more strength work. Friday um, would be a drop-off. Um, so if, if even Thursday with the strength work, it would still be brief. You know, Wednesday, you might have a little bit of a, of a higher-end um, intense actual football training session. Um, you know, for, yeah, Thursday might get a little bit of strength work. Um, but again, if we did a top-speed session at the start of the week, you know, we might just do kind of an agility session with a little bit of change of direction or deceleration on the Thursday. Um, Friday, you know, it's going to be active recovery or kind of a primer for Saturday. So one, they're not sore, but two, they're also kind of in, um, you can never really call it optimal, but like a state where they're ready to go on Saturday. So like with your priming, you know, you might do, you know, some jumps, some medicine ball throws, stuff like that, just to get the central nervous system firing. Yeah. Yeah, I've had loads of different approaches, but I'm kind of with you and doing little bits each day. I've, I've spoke to... I can't remember his name now, but he was on about the they've changed the system over the last few years at a professional team from going like we're literally going to have one gym session here, one gym session here, and the rest is just going to be football stuff to doing little bits each day. And like like you said, like focusing on speed stuff, top end stuff the other day, and mm. more like um, gym based stuff the other day, and then obviously you have like a day off on Wednesday or whatever, and then towards the end of the week you almost like they call it like a peaking in a, in, a, in a sense for that game on Saturday because that's when you need to be fresh. Yeah, so that's probably the best. Because I know lads that, that they say they like doing this, that, and the other uh, before games. What's your opinion on doing like upper body stuff the day before a game? Because I remember our coach, uh, SSC coach, when I was at Newcastle, he was like, no, upper body, nothing before the day before a game. And some lads like to do it. I don't know if it was a mental thing or. Um, I, don't, I don't mind it, to be honest. I mean, as long as it doesn't leave you unnecessarily sore while yeah. going, oh, I'm like, my back's hurting or my chest is hurting or mm-hmm. um, it's it's influencing your movement negatively in some way, then it doesn't really matter. Yeah. And if, if the training's appropriately dosed and managed, then you should never come out feeling so the next day anyway. Um, so I have no issue with that, especially since like, it's still going to be somewhat important in battles and duels, especially, you know, we mentioned goalkeepers before as well. Um, even more, I mean, like you can say even more so for defenders to be strong against attackers, but then attackers need it to be strong against defenders. So like, you know, when people talk about, individualizing from positions sometimes it works both ways um so yeah it's not something like i really really have an issue with to be honest yeah as, as long as it doesn't leave them so spot on me just touch up on about um i talked about before about lads who maybe have injuries or something or maybe like like the grown and they have a little bit of osgood slatters or whatever i used to get severs i think it was called in, in the mm-hmm. angles i used to get that quite a bit do you think players should have a right I know when they're young, it's obviously quite hard when they're like 11, 12, 13 and stuff. It's hard for them to go and say to a coach, 
look, I feel like I need to back off the intensity here because I'm getting these aches and pains. Do you feel it should be more accepted rather than coaches? Because I felt like when I was young, if I said that to a coach, you'd just be like, well, stop fanning about. You don't have like the mentality or whatever, given that excuse. Do you feel like maybe they're at a young age, so maybe the parents should come towards the coach? Do you think that should be a bit more of an open approach rather than be like, right, he because the team's doing this, he needs to do that. And if he's not fit to do that, he's injured. So I think uh, it needs a little bit, and it's a tough question. I, th- I think you need to know the player, like you need mm-hmm. to know. And um, Don A got a real good grasp of the players at Manchester Player Development and what they're like, and whether he thinks they're bullshitting or being for real with, with what they're saying. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of depends on the player. You know, do they usually take part in S and C? Do they care? Do they ask? Do they ask questions? Which is partly your job, you know, to make them um, kind of want to do that stuff but like do they even when you try you know do they take part do they show willingness do they show interest are they usually a little bit of a faker or like um a little bit of a politician with things yeah, or, you get one or two of them don't you something <laughs> yeah like or, or, or like a little bit of a fairy you know it depends on what they're like but i mean you're not you're, you're not the mum or the dad you know you're not there to tell them what to do i mean yeah. you can only guide their decisions and if they're if they're going to play anyway, I'll decide not to play anyway. Uh-huh. All you all you can do is guide them. I'm not going to waste unnecessary time. You know, it's 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 like it's it's like the saying that if 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 you argue with an idiot, that's not going to change your mind. Then you know you're an idiot as well. Yeah, so, well, you're wasting your own time, aren't you? It's, it's just about it's just about judging. Kind mm-hmm. of, is it worth what, spending the time on, and what is this player going to decide to end up doing, regardless of what what I kind of suggest anyway yeah you do know you you do know your players you know the ones who actually like do graft and if there's a problem like it's like well what's what's wrong with him like this isn't normal kind of thing so I think like and then you like you said you do get your people who are just like oh they fall over and they hurt the hand or something they graze themselves on the astral turf and that's them injured for two weeks and they don't want to come back mm. so I think you do know them sort of players so definitely some good points there so last little thing and then I've got uh, three little questions which I think you've had a little look at um, so last thing we talked about, me and Dante briefly talked about before the podcast about the psychological side of the game, especially for young athletes who are maybe getting to the age of either like 15, 16 to get the scholarship and then maybe don't get that contract and maybe fall out of love with the game or they find it hard to find another team and they have to drop out of the game or even at the other end when they get the scholarship and it gets to that professional contract time and maybe it doesn't quite get there. Like they don't quite get that contract or things don't happen to them. Is there anything advice-wise, because Dante, you've been through a similar thing, I've been through a similar thing, like yeah. any advice or any things that you've experienced that have kind of helped you um, or feel like, is, is there anything more that needs to be done? I think definitely um, get that plan B and even that plan C scheduled. Yeah, um, I think it's naive and it comes down to parents a little bit. Um, it's naive to think that with football, you've got a chat. Well, I don't think you can go into it thinking that you have it guaranteed that you're going to make it. Definitely have all the enthusiasm in the world to do it. But just look at the stats and the figures. It's very, very rare um, for players to be able to get in the fortunate position to be able to get a professional contract. So there needs to be that safety net. And I think kids need to be exposed to other avenues whether that's education um sports usually the easier dropout isn't it because it still gives you that kind of um 
it fills that that void quite well. Um, but you definitely need to give them other avenues, whether it's other sports, whether it's education, whether it's getting them into a job, just something at least that they can understand and grasp so that they can, can continue to build a skill set. Um, as early this morning, I spoke to a sports psychologist where um, I'll flip it, there's players who are retiring who for 10, 15 years, their identity has been a footballer, a sportsman, a top-end athlete. Um, and it's, it's intense when you've got that year in, year out, I've got to be the best. And when you lose that, um, and there's people still associate themselves with a club, or I used to play this, or I used to play that. Um, or when I was 16, I was playing for X, Y, Z, but I didn't quite make it. If that comes into the first topic, when someone asks you, who are you, what do you do? And if that's something that I feel that comes into your head, then you need to kind of lose that identity as such. You yeah. need to become almost like a new person. You need to have the new you, the new skills set, the new something. Um, and hopefully, I think clubs should try and do a little bit better as well and imagine this because... You see it all the time where there's articles published where there's players that have been under-21s, under-23s at top clubs where you think that they might potentially be able to land in a lower league side, but then they're absolutely fourth away side. And I think they've got to be doing a little bit more, especially for some players that have been at these clubs from being a boy uh, into nearly going into a man and they're just dropping off. I think that's a bit of the cold side to the game that I think needs looking at because I think we need to move away from looking at these, you know, these men and these women as in, as investments as such and start looking into the people and the human side of it um, because there's a lot of damage that can be created there um, if these kids aren't exposed to the right, um, the right people. Um, so definitely looking to try and basically just make sure that there's that, safety net underneath and that should almost be just as important as being able to make it yeah I'll see it a lot even at Premier League teams players like leave and they're just the struggle like trial and like that's another topic of conversation trial trial places is just an absolute nightmare like I talked about it with my mate in a podcast like you go down places they say right we want you down for a week this that we're looking for a a goalkeeper and you get like a few days in they're like oh uh like we don't have the financial, we don't have the money for you to sign and stuff like that. And they're just like, well, you've just wasted a week of my life there. Like right. trying the trial is ridiculous. And you just end up losing, like you lose the love for it when you go in all these places and you have been at like a good level and you know what you're capable of. And then you're getting these reasons and maybe you're dropping confidence. And when your confidence drops, your performance drops. And then you like end up losing belief in yourself. Like I was yeah. in the same situation. Like when I was playing in Scotland, I lost my confidence loads. And I was just like, like a few years ago, like I was at this level, now I'm down mm-hmm. here, which is like you said, it's an identity thing. Like it's almost an ego thing, which I think a lot of people yeah, who have really. played at a high level like do. They have to kind of lose it, and it took me a while to lose that ego. Like it did take us probably a solid year after I left um, Newcastle to lose that ego. That was mm-hmm. the first thing. I was like, oh yeah, I was at Newcastle for eleven years, but you need you're a new person. Nobody cares about that when you leave, especially yeah. when you yeah. drop down levels. Nobody cares, and. It's it is a tough reality. Uh, they try to try and make even just to try and make a career in the game when you've been at a top level doesn't mean that you've got the right to like right. I've played here, go to another team. Doesn't make your right to be number one or like starting your opposition sort of thing. It's yeah, very tough. But we'll um, that's, an, that's we could go on and talk about that for another twenty five minutes. But we'll finish <laughs> off. 
We'll finish off with three questions. So I'll ask you both. I'll let you go one at a time. So first question is, three people past or present who you'd like to invite round for dinner? Anybody? Okay, I'll start. Um, me, Jay-Z. I'm a big Jay-Z fan. Yeah. Um, from his story of how he started to where he is now, I just think that's absolutely phenomenal. So that's a brand I'd like to pick. Elon Musk, second person. Um, revolution. I think what he's managed to do, even this week with the recent stuff, his mind's just somewhere else. And again, that's another brain I'd like to pick. And then to lighten up a little bit, Kevin Hart. I think he's successful in his own right, but he's also hilarious. I just listened to his Joe uh, Roden podcast the other day. Yeah, Class. See, if you've heard yeah. that, it, it, it literally gave me the energy that I could go run through a wall. Um, so I think, again, that's another person who I'd like to have on my contact list and be able to sit down and have a conversation with. So they're my three. Oh, let's go on, Andy. Uh, uh, that has some good ones there. Um, <laughs> see, did you, did, did you get sent the notes or not? Did you get time to prep or you just come yeah, off the cuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to yeah, say, Don, I'm not sure if you were off the cuff or not. Don, Don, Don <laughs> I sent them across, but I, did, I, did, I, did, I didn't know what he had chose. Um, so first one, I'll go, go with an equivalent to Jay-Z, which, uh, which, you know, I didn't just pick it because of that, but 50 Cent. Um, similar thing to Don A with Jay-Z. Um, the guy's the guy's just a machine he's gone from like um one of the roughest places in the world in, in terms of like gang violence to being one of the most kind of um revolutionary like hip-hop artists of the early 2000s and then he's got on to write books which are very good books um he's got one called the 50th law which is kind of a um a second book to 48 laws of power which is a classic um and then going on to making shows like power and stuff um yeah. and i think it's just it's just a fun controversial character it makes me laugh uh, so 50 cent um second one is navel who is more of kind of a recent person that's come to like the public eye on social media and stuff like that um don't really know that much about him but it just he seems like to have a conversation with he would leave you with a lot of wisdom that would help you find a little bit more peace and happiness without relying on kind of external things, which is cool. And then last one I would go with is, um, this is a tough one. Oh, I'll stuck between two. Uh, Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor, Conor uh, McGregor. I was, I, was stuck be, I, I was stuck between him and someone else, but I'll go Conor McGregor. Um, again, just because I, I like enjoying myself and just having a laugh and having fun and laughing. I think Conor McGregor's funny. But again, it also have some interesting... Um, Stories, Lessons and stories, yeah, 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 yeah. legend. Uh, he's been picked the fall for a few times. I think that people have asked, but he's a legend. Like I love him. Uh, <laughs> second question is three people you'd want to train with, so it could be gym related or football related. Uh, Andy, you can go first in this one. Uh, Arnold, just because it's Arnold, you know, you can't not pick him. Is that yeah? Not, not, not saying he's going to talk a lot of sense to me in terms of training, but like, um. <laughs> The guy's the guy's just a legend. He's like I'd pay to train with Arnold, you know, just have a session yeah. with him. Um, second one, Kevin Hart. Again, like what Donny said about him having a good vibe. The guy's just hilarious. Getting in a session with him and just having a good time uh, would be fun. And then I'd have to get an athlete in there because I'd want a real competitive session. Um, so with that one, I'd have to go with probably LeBron James, just because you see him in the gym quite a lot on social media. Seems like he's got good energy. Um, and it'd probably be a fun competitive session with a lot of hard work. So yeah, I'll let Donnie go. Nice picks, man. Um, I think for me, uh, The Rock. Uh, I, I put The Rocks because 
the guy's just been cool since I was a kid. Uh, I mean, even, <laughs> he's absolutely amazing. It's the fact he's like long. The fact he's changed his body again and his work rate and everything about him is just energy. I love it. Um, a guy called Elliot Hulse, who's yeah. kind of when I was kind mm. of um, getting strong. into the gym. Yeah, I know. Elliot yeah, Hulse, strong yeah. man. Uh, <laughs> no. Bit of a funny character, but he again was one of the reasons why I started to lift weights. So he's the second person. And then for the first reason that Andy said, Arnold, I think he's one of the cornerstones of bodybuilding. Really. So yeah. I think just have a session with him um, just just to see what it's like and seeing it in the flesh would be absolutely a life-changing experience. So yeah, it'd be ridiculous training with him back, especially back in these like, Olympia days when he yeah. bodybuilded. Like, yeah, I think his sessions are like three and a half, four hours long. <laughs> but uh, he'd be there kind of well. Right, last one. One thing you say to yourself five years ago, one little bit of advice. Um, so, well, what I said is uh, I think I keep it simple. Um, I think five years ago I was kind of in a rush to get things happening too quick, and I still probably am, but what I probably tell myself is that you're exactly where you're supposed to be, just enjoy it. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, it's especially five years ago I was 18, and it's, it's a prime stage of, of a part of my life, so I'll probably just enjoy it a little bit more and just um, just say yes to a lot more things that I said no to. But that's 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 probably just about it for me. Simple as that. Yeah, great advice. That go on, Andy. I I was gonna say the same thing, but from a different perspective. Just enjoy yourself. Yeah. Just 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 have fun. Like you, you live once, and time is precious. You don't you don't get it back. Like even me saying this right now. Like me just saying five seconds ago, enjoy yourself and everything else I've just said is gone. That time in existence doesn't come back. So, you know, just do shit you enjoy. And if you're not enjoying something, stop doing it and go and do something else. Just, yeah. and just be happy. Yeah. No, no, I love that. I'm all about that. hundred <laughs> percent all about that. But now it's been a pleasure having you guys on. Do you want to shout out your social media, company social media and your own social media as well, where people can find you? So you can find our site, uh, our, our website at www.aestheticathletes.co.uk, Instagram, Aesthetic Athletes. Uh, my personal Instagram and Twitter are at AA Instagram, double underscore Dante, and Twitter, just one underscore Dante. It's a bit confusing, but yeah, that's the story. Um, um, and Andy, yeah, you, you can look at yourself. Yeah, so um, Twitter, we're at AA Conditioning. Uh, just because we can't fit aesthetic athletes in. Boycott Twitter for that. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Facebook will just say aesthetic athletes. Yeah. And then um, Instagram, my personal is where I post a lot more of my training because we keep things obviously more professional on the Instagram is uh, RAA double underscore Ander. And that's because someone's took AA underscore Ander, which oh. is an inactive account. Well, it's not been deleted, which is why Dante <laughs> has the same thing. It's, it's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, that's just this trouble with Instagram. If you're not on it yeah. straight away, you do it. But now, cheers, guys. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Thank you very much. So everyone, make yeah, sure you go you. and follow the page as well to put some decent content out. And the uh, the online, uh, what's it called? Database. You've, database, that's the one that you've just put on is pretty decent. So get it. It's only like, it's, a, it's, one, it's 99p, isn't it, at the minute? Less than the quid, mate. It's 99p for your first month, for yeah, that's, that's, that's the one. So get, get on it. All right, cheers, guys. Thank you very much. Have a good no day. See ya. Thank you very much. If you listen to the full episode, it means a lot if you've made it this far. 
And thanks again to Andy and Dante for coming on to this episode. Some great knowledge and great insight about business and traffic conditions, so a lot of different points there. If you did enjoy this episode of the podcast, make sure to get subscribed and also give us a five-star rating. And a little review just about how you found the episode and about the podcast in general would mean a lot as well. And one last thing, if you could just send the link of this podcast to a friend or a family member or just tell somebody about it, that would also mean a lot to me just to spread the word about the podcast. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. This has been Process.